You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Well, thank you guys for joining us this morning. It's a pleasure uh, to be with you. Um, today, we're continuing our series called The Path to Glory. We're, we're going through the book of Mark um, leading up to Easter, and um, we hope you enjoy it. And before we get started today, just want to pray first. Um, so let's go. Uh, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, forgive us the trespasses uh, against you and forgive uh, those who we have trespassed against. Uh, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the great trial. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, I always feel like uh, I never have really great stories when I, when I speak with you guys. Uh, I always... Um, I always admire Jason and some of the other teachers. They, uh, a lot of times they incorporate good stories from their, their own experiences. And I always admire some of those stories. Like, uh, for example, Jason will have this great story about um, going to the beach with his children. And it'll just uh, perfectly capture uh, the moment and, and what we're teaching about. And... and, and my stories always end up like I went to the beach and, uh, and tried to boogie board and I got wiped out by a 50 foot wave and I sprung my ankle and I just decided to go home and watch Netflix, right? Or uh, because I work for the government, most of my stories are redacted, so I don't have a, a lot to share in that respect. It's all, uh, well, Paul redacted and then he went and it was redacted. Um, but stories are so important and um, Jesus uses them, and, and, and the, the, the gospel writers use them to great effect. In fact, Mark is focused uh, on the narrative. So as you're going through Mark, um, the, the sequences of events is not um, necessarily what Mark is focused on, so much as the story and, and the story he's trying to tell. And, you know, he uses a lot of deliberate language, and He's trying to, to bring home some very uh, important points to us, and mostly to, to the church. I, I believe Mark's gospel is for the church. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited that we're going through it. It's an important time for us as, as a church, as a body of, of believers. And I think one of the things Mark is trying to get at and trying to see a, a, have us see is where we fit in the story, Right? He wants, to un- wants us to understand where the church fits into the narrative. Um, and the thing is, when, as you go through Mark, you start to see that it's re- usually not pretty good. It's not very good for us because um, the disciples, the ones who are Jesus' followers, the ones who are with him the most, um, repeatedly get it wrong. They repeatedly don't understand what Jesus is trying um, to tell them and teach them. In fact, it's the outsiders, the ones in the stories that are coming to Jesus who aren't his uh, ones that are immediately uh, identified as his followers or his disciples, who are the ones who are seeing and understanding what Jesus is trying to communicate. Um, 
Mark is really a, a great example. The, the book, the gospel, is a great example of the self-sacrificial nature of our discipleship to Jesus. But again, the disciples seem never to fit the bill. Occasionally they get it right, but time after time we kind of see them just fumbling around what Jesus is wanting them to understand. And in fact, it's one of the reasons Mark, at the end of the story, um, at the end of the gospel, kind of leaves us with this, um, not necessarily um, you know, happy ending, but this ending where the disciples are leaving confused and, and, and sad and terrified. Because uh, if what Mark is saying about our, our uh, relationship to Jesus, we should be a little bit um, concerned, right? If, if we're the ones who aren't getting it right, um, what does that mean for us, right? Um, and, and really, it's not for us to go away, take away that we can't do these things, but it's a warning, right, to the people who are closest to Jesus not to miss him, right? So we want to look today at Mark 17, uh, Mark 10, verses said, starting at verses 17. Well, actually, I want to start a few verses before in Mark 13, because it's part of the context. I think um, what Mark is getting at kind of starts in 13, um, so I'm going to start there, and I'm going to read out of the NLT today. So if you have a Bible or an app or uh, however you want to follow along is um, uh, appropriate for you, you're welcome to do so. But here we go. Mark 10, uh, verses 13 through 16. Uh, One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering them. So again, we see right off the bat, uh, the disciples are you know, getting mad at the parents for bringing children to Jesus. Uh, it goes on. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed them, his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. You see, Jesus is always trying to flip the script on us. It's the nature of his kingdom. It's the upside down kingdom, right? Whoever we think is well off ends up being the people who are not well off in God's economy and in his kingdom, right? Um, And and Jesus places in in his time children who are very marginalized. Uh, Even in our society, they're still marginalized. They have no rights. They have no uh, way to really uh, defend themselves from the evils of adults. Um, And he places them right at the center of his kingdom. You see, because in God's kingdom, and you know, the way it works is is by surprise, right? Where we we think it's gonna be one way and Jesus comes in and he tells us the way it really is, right? And And the kingdom is full of surprises. Just when you think that you've got it figured out, Jesus, uh, shows you something new and something beautiful, right? And, and that leads us to the main part of our narrative today, starting at verse 17 uh, from Mark 10. And I'm continuing in the NLT. It says, And as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I just want to pause for a second because there uh, tends to be a lot of confusion about um, our life with God and eternal life. Now, there's only one place in, that I'm aware of in the Bible that actually describes what eternal life is, and that's in John seventeen three. 
And I'm going to read that for you. And it says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Now, uh, so Jesus is describing to us plainly what eternal life is, and that's to know him. That is eternal life. Um, and, and I will tell you that in uh, the Bible, that know, that word for knowing, especially here, is the same one that they use earlier in, in the, the Gospel of Luke when they describe that Mary did not know a man. Um, because it's a Jewish idiom for intimacy. And, and that's all I will say about that. So when we talk about no, it's always this interactive intimacy uh, with the other person, right? Um, so as, so we'll, we'll continue on. Um, you know, so this eternal, what is eternal life, right? It, we always think of eternal the eternal starting after we die. But eternity, and especially from this verse, we can gather that eternity runs course with time, right? We don't have to wait until we're dead to know Jesus. In fact, we don't want to do that. We want to live and walk with Jesus and his kingdom now. So that is the beginning of eternal life, right? We are now living the lives we are going to live forever with Jesus. And that doesn't start, that, that time doesn't start uh, after we die. That starts now, as soon as we start knowing Jesus, right? As soon as we start uh, following him and having relationship with him and, and learning from him. Also note that the use of inherit here, the man, the, the rich young ruler, he uses that word very intentionally, right? Because what happens, how do you inherit something? Well, somebody has to die for you to inherit something, right? So the man knows something, right? You inherit something when someone else dies. You see, every word that Mark is using in the narrative is expertly chosen because he's a master storyteller, I'm gonna, let's continue on. Verse 18, it says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone on your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was a little boy. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Uh, that's just a beautiful statement that uh, Jesus felt genuine love for this person, right? Who is seeking him and is, we think, truly seeking a, a good answer. In fact, this is the first instance in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus identifies someone that he loves. Carrying on, it says, uh, There is still one thing you haven't done, he told the man. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, I just want to pause again. And now this sense of um, if you go and sell all your possessions and then follow me, then you will have treasure in heaven. Now, it's important to note that a lot of times in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, when we see this word heaven, it, it, it can be interchangeable with the word God because the heavens are really uh, only the heavens because God dwells there, right? And as a way of respect, uh, a lot of times instead of using the word God, uh, and we see this a lot in the, the gospel of Matthew, instead of using the kingdom of God, Matthew uh, prefers to use the kingdom of heaven. 
uh, as a way of not uh, using the word God uh, as a matter of respect, right? Or as a matter of one of these, uh, you know, barriers that they put up between uh, themselves and, and violating any of the Torah or any of the Old Testament laws, right? Um, so heaven is the place where God dwells and heaven and God are used interchangeably. Um, so a lot of times it feels like when we talk about going to heaven when we die, it's, we, it's like some type of pleasure factory where uh, all of our dreams are gonna come true. But we have to remember heaven is only beautiful and we only want to be there because God is there. That's what the point of going to heaven is so that we can be with God, we can be with Jesus, uh, we can be with uh, the Godhead, the three in one, right? Um, so the heavens are God's dwellings and, and, and in the Jewish sense and in the, the, the sense that they had at the time, the heavens are right in front of us, right? They're all around us. Um, it's this invisible um, uh, place of God's kingdom that's just surrounding us. Uh, and that's why so many times when you, when you read through the gospels, uh, Jesus tells us, you know, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. Cause he's saying, you can reach out and grasp it, right? It would be like saying, um, you know, if you're walking down a hallway and you arrived at the elevator, you would say the kingdom, uh, the elevator is at hand, right? You can reach out and uh, uh, summon the elevator, right? Um, <clears throat> so Jesus, when he's teaching about the kingdom, he was wanting us to think of it and, and the sense of it being all around us, uh, it being there and available to us to step into. So yes, there's a very real sense of um, you having treasure in, in the life to come, um, but there's also the sense of you draw on the treasures of heaven now, right? The, the, the treasures of God are available to us now. Um, as we follow God and step into his world now. Uh, but let's carry on. Verse 23 says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. Um, now, I want to focus on that. This amazed them. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but let's keep going. It says, but Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So one, uh, you'll note here in the verse that he's calling them children. And if you remember, we started the verse where Jesus is elevating the children, right? Uh, and he, now he's talking about the kingdom of God. And previously he said, the children are the ones that get the kingdom of God most easily and most accessible to them right? Because children are the ones who are most likely to enter the kingdom. You know, the kingdom belongs to such as these, right? So the disciples were astounded. Again, they were amazed previously and now they're astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they ask. Now, in their mind, um, they have a rich person in front of Jesus who's asking what he can do to follow them. And Jesus tells him just to go away, right? Think about it in this sense. Imagine if uh, we were at church one Sunday and we were all hanging out, you know, and all of a sudden Jeff Bezos uh, comes up and I'm the first one on the scene, right? And uh, Jeff asked me, uh, and if you're not familiar, Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, right? The founder, and he's got bi billions upon billions of dollars, right? Uh, and he asked me, you know, I've really... Uh, liked your sermon, Paul. It was really great. It really touched me. I'm like, oh, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, 
but he says, I would really like to join the church here at the Mission Redlands. Uh, what do I have to do? Now, a lot of you would be thinking, well, first, Paul, you should tell Jeff Bezos uh, about tithing because, you know, it would be really nice to get 10% of a billion dollars, right? Or a trillion dollars as he's closer to, right? Uh, and then I, but what I did instead is said to Jeff, listen, Jeff, what you really need to do before you join the church here is uh, you need to go give away all your money to, to your employees, right? Uh, give it all away and then come back and you can uh, sit, sit with us and, and discipleship with us and fellowship with us. And I'm sure there's lots of people who would be like screaming, what are you doing, Paul? Uh, <laughs> you know, we could have paid off the church or any number of things with Jeff Bezos' money if we had just said, uh, yeah, come, come, come with us and, and, and start tithing, right? Uh, they're astounded because one, in their concept, anybody who was rich was already blessed by God, right? They already had uh, some piece of this eternal life that Jesus keeps telling them about. But Jesus here is again flipping the script, right? That's not the way it is in his kingdom. He tells the man, you should go sell everything you have and then we'll talk about following me, right? Now, uh, the disciples are astounded at this. They're, 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 as we would be if, uh, in, in a situation where if Jeff Bezos came here and we sent him away, right? Because we're thinking in human terms. We're thinking about the amount of resources that person has and what they could do if they were, part, if they were with us, right? And they still had those resources. But Jesus is not concerned about that, right? And, and he goes on and says, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, uh, going back, disciples were astounded. They said, who in the world can be saved? They asked. And then Jesus responded, look at them, looking at them intently, he said, humanly speaking is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Now, um, well, we'll just keep going on the verse. Um, it says, then Peter began to speak up. It says, we've given up everything to follow you, he said. So now Peter's bringing it back to them, Right. He says, yes, Jesus says, yes. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now and return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children and property along with persecution in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now, thinking the rich young ruler, will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now, think about the children, will be the greatest then. So it would be really easy to look at this story and, and say, the rich young ruler, right? We always have this tendency to, to, to come at the scriptures with a God's eye view and judge all of the characters from our perspective. But again, like I mentioned in the beginning, Mark is wanting us to put ourselves in the narrative to see who we really are. Are we like the disciples who are astonished that Jesus would send somebody away with great wealth? Are we the, the man who has the great wealth, right? Um, and, and is sad because we, we don't want to give up our stuff? Now listen, it would be really easy to say, well, that's just for the super rich, right? The Jeff Bezos of the world. But I will tell you at the time of Jesus's, uh, of this story, of, of this incident with Jesus, we probably all are much richer in wealth and possessions than this man ever dreamed of being. 
uh, most of us, most of us who live here in America, um, in, in, who attend a church and, and, and the community of Redlands, probably all have more possessions than the rich young ruler in this story. So what does that mean for us, right? And, and it would be easy to just say, well, Jesus isn't really talking um, to me here because I don't have anything. I don't have a lot of money, right? And again, what Jesus is getting at is, you see, when we hold something, when we hold on to our possessions, um, we tend to um, hold on to them in such a way that we are ruled by them. And what do I mean by that? Um, I don't know about you, but like when I grew up, uh, shoes were a very like uh, important thing uh, for, for us, right? Uh, you know, did you, do you have the new Jordans or the Kobe's or whatever the shoe was? Now it's the Yeezys. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not up to the game anymore. I, I gave up um, caring about the shoes. Um, and I never was, never had a, a pair of Jordans, but you know, I got a nice pair of Nikes or something, right? When they're brand fresh new, uh, out the box, right? And, and you, when you wear them, you wear them in a certain way, right? You're, you're watching where you step. You're making sure you don't walk into the grass. You're, you're taking care of them. You're watching the scuffs, right? You're taking care of them with such precision that the shoe owns you, right? And, and, then, and then contrast that with a pair of like uh, your dad's shoes, right? Those, those new balance that, that, are, that are out in the grass every day because he's mowing the, the yard every day and keeping that grass, you know, at three point, uh, three and a quarter inches height, right? And right, those new balances are beat up. The, the ends are all bent in because he doesn't even bother to untie them. Um, and, and they're just worn out. Those shoes... Uh, no one cares about what happens to those shoes. The, your dad doesn't care about those shoes, right? He, he, those shoes are made for endurance, made to, to take a beating, right? They're not like your, your Jordans or your Kobe's, right? Or, or, or maybe that's not relatable to you. Think about a new car or that new couch. You're keeping the kids off your new couch, right? You're taking such precision and care that you end up uh, being owned by that possession. Your car, you have to always wash it, always maintenancing it because you love it so much. You never let uh, your kids in it uh, because you know they'll destroy it and wreck it. And, and the, the possession, that thing is what rules you, right? You think you've owned a thing. You think you've paid for it. And what happens is the thing ends up owning you. And that's what Jesus is getting at with this message, right? The rich young ruler was sad because he had many possessions because those possessions have come to rule him. Right? And what Jesus is wanting us to get at is not that uh, we should go sell everything we have. That would be an easy way to look at this story. Right? But Jesus is never giving us laws. He's not teaching laws. He's teaching us what it's like to live under the rule of heaven. And if we're going to step into the rule of heaven right now with him, we have to hold things loosely, right? We can't be controlled by our possessions. We can't be concerned with how much money we have in the bank account. Or at least if we're concerned about it, we're not concerned about it because 
we, we were using it as a, a stand-in for God in the security of this world, right? That's what the young man is doing, right? He, he has taken that money and elevated it to a place where it doesn't belong. We take possessions and we elevate them to a place that they don't belong. You see, instead of holding things loosely, where we're willing to let them go, because we live in a different reality, a different economy in God's kingdom, where it doesn't really matter if we lose everything. They're living, we, us and the young ruler, are living from a place where we have to have those things, where we covet those things, where we are owned by our stuff and our money. So we never want to make it so easy that we are judging the rich young ruler because a lot of times, especially for me, and when it comes to money, I have that same type of attitude. I hold on to those things too, too tightly and then they begin to hold me. You see, the, the other side of this is what, what, what Peter's bringing up, right? Uh, well, Jesus, we've given up everything, so we're good, right? And, and Jesus, yes, affirms that, um, you know, hesitantly, but, but he affirms them. He's like, yes, but you're still missing the point. Because if, if you think the rule is that I should just give away all my money and get rid of all my stuff, and then I've satisfied the rule, again, you're not looking at the heart of what Jesus is getting at. You see, Jesus wants us to become the type of people who hold things loosely, who aren't concerned about what happens to us, but are willing uh, to give away everything, to keep things and, and, and if they need to be keep, kept, um, and follow him wherever it, he leads, right? He's not teaching us, uh, you should give away everything or you should keep everything. He's teaching us what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. People who, uh, who step into his world and his kingdom aren't concerned whether they have it or don't or whether they need to give it away or whether they need to keep it. They're willing and ready to do whatever is necessary for the moment. They're not controlled by their stuff. It's just stuff. See, the kingdom is right where we are. It's right where the young man stood with Jesus. And we can never enter the kingdom and live from it except where we are. And so sometimes these possessions, our money or whatever it may be, and it doesn't even have to be a, a, a physical thing. We can be holding on to uh, certain beliefs, right? Uh, if we think, um, you know, certain people don't uh, belong and, and that can be a thing that we have to let go, right? Go and get rid of all these ugly ideas about God and then come follow me. Go and get rid of you put, you, put it, you put it in the blank, right? Whatever it, it is that you're holding on to too tightly that's keeping you from stepping in to the glorious reality of God's kingdom. So again, if you want to be a disciple, and this is the, the warning that Mark is getting at, right? Just to reiterate, you just have to be willing to hold things loosely. Be willing to let them go. It's the way of the kingdom, right? Um, you know, Jesus is on his way to the cross throughout this story. That's why we call this uh, series, The Path to Glory, right? Because we're, we're looking at the touch points of Jesus's life up leading up to the cross, right? And, and, and the disciples are holding on to this idea that they're going to seize power, 
that when they get up to Jerusalem, they're gonna kick the Romans out. Now, I know it's hard to imagine people who, who are with Jesus uh, would cling and desire power to the fact, to the tune that they might even go up to their nation's capital and overturn the capital and, and, and try to take it over and, and subdue it for Jesus and, and do it by way of violence and power. I know that's a little hard to relate to these days. We don't have any examples of that uh, in current events, but you have to just use your imagination here uh, that the disciples still clung, clung to this idea that they were gonna have an earthly type of ruler come back. The Messiah was gonna come back in political power and in political might, and he was gonna take Jerusalem back for the kingdom of God, and he was gonna kick the Romans out. And that's why we see throughout the story in Mark, the disciples continually getting it wrong and Jesus rebuking them because they're still clinging to these ideas of earthly power. And mature faith, mature discipleship, mature uh, walking with Jesus and stepping into his kingdom is understanding not that uh, because Jesus went to the cross that we don't have to go there. It, it's understanding the beauty of what Jesus has done and understanding because Jesus went to the cross and gave up everything, I can go there with him. Certainly you don't have to go to the cross, but as you mature in faith, as you start to hold things more loosely, you understand even if I go to the cross, even if I'm crucified with Jesus, that's okay. Because that's the way of love. That is the way that Jesus has exampled his life, has led his life, right? It is the upside down nature of his kingdom that we will hold things loosely and that even when we don't get our way, that's okay too. So my prayer to you and for me is as, as we move throughout this series, as we continue to look at Mark and our grow groups, is we start to examine ourselves. What are we holding on to too tightly? that is hindering our, our relationship with Jesus, that's hindering our discipleship with Jesus, where we're becoming the type of people who don't have ears to hear or eyes to see. And so I just encourage you over the next few weeks as we lead up to Easter, just prayerfully consider if there's something that you're holding on to too tightly that is preventing you from walking and stepping in to the nature of God's kingdom here and now, where when you do that, you start to realize everything's okay, even when it's not, that I can give up everything because I'm with Jesus and he is with me. So uh, let me pray for you as we get out of here today. And thank you uh, again for joining us this morning. Uh, it has been a pleasure. Our Father, uh, we just thank you uh, for these people who have joined us for your church, uh, you, me, and us who belong to you, Lord, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and that whatever we cling to too tightly, we would let go so that we could step freely into your kingdom and walk with you without the hindrance of something owning us because ultimately, God, we want to belong to you. 
We pray these and give these things up to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.